You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It's Tuesday, September 15, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's TG Tuesday. We're joined once again by Tony Greer. But first, with an unscripted intro, Haley Drasnan. Haley, welcome back. Hey, Ash. Happy to be here. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Haley, let's jump right in. What are you looking at today? So I read a really interesting Bloomberg article this morning on what institutional investors are looking at in regards to retail investors. And, you know, they're canvassing Reddit and Twitter and looking at their posts on Medium and trying to gauge a better understanding of the types of trades that they're working on and what they're thinking about. And I thought that was really interesting, you know, as we're seeing this growth in retail investors during the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah. It is interesting. One might say it's like bizarro world. It's upside down. Typically, you have retail investors trying to figure out what the pros are doing. Now we've got the reverse. It's just a testament to the amount of volume uh, that retail investors are providing on the uh, on the cash as well as option side. Yeah. And, you know, according to this Bloomberg analysis, I'm going to pull it up right here. Uh, retail investors now account for 20 percent of equity trading. So, you know, you have your your brokerages like Charles Schwab and TD Ameritrade, but then like look at Robinhood, for example, which saw a historic 3 million new accounts in the first four months of 2020. Ultimately, it comes down to, you know, retail investors really having an impact on the market. And not only do we see them trading cash equities, but a lot of their trading activity is also, you know, in options. And this could be contributing in some way to this volatility we're seeing in the market, especially with tech stocks. Yeah, one lot trades, smaller trades. 12% now of total options volume. Retail is clearly a force, but they're not going to be the ones that are solely able to drive the valuation or market levels. And here at Real Vision, you know, with the launch of our exchange, we have both retail investors and institutional investors talking about what they're really thinking about too. And it's a great platform for us to share our thoughts and strategies as well, you know, separate from Reddit, from Twitter, and from, you know, posting on other types of platforms. My goal is to do one video for the exchange with Sebastian Munjava, who's our uh, newest crypto team member every day. Let's see if we get there. You guys got this. Kelly, what else are you looking at? So, you know, among the stocks that's popular with retail investors I'm seeing is Nikola, the electric truck maker. And, you know, the company went public earlier this year through a merger with a blank check company. Um, it has, you know, reported no real meaningful revenue yet, but Retail investors really like the startup and the business model. And, you know, they just partnered with GM to develop and build new vehicles. And the stock jumped when that was announced. Yeah, you know, Nicola reminds me a bit of the old Saturday Night Live skit with Stefan, where he talks about all the debauched things happening in clubs. This is like a perfect storm of 2020-isms, right? We've got a SPAC. We've got a five-for-one split. We've got an absence of liquidity for rehypothecation because the uh, the shares are owned by so many retail investors. The stock is very difficult to short. They don't have any, uh, obviously, no net income at this point, very little to no revenue. It's just a fascinating, it's the most 2020 story of 2020. Right. And, you know, right now the company is really fighting for its reputation. Um, you know, the short sell hedge fund Hindenburg Research last week accused the company's founder of fraud. And now this week the SEC is 
investigating potentially the company, but you know, at the same time, we still have retail investors um, really keeping their close eye on it and wanting to, to continue investing in it. Yeah, let's add to that a call for an SEC investigation to the perfect list of 2020-isms. Look, you know, we've talked about this all the time. Ed and I have talked about it frequently, about the need to think about these things on different time horizons. For me, this is one of those stocks that it could double, it could triple, it could go to zero, it could double or triple, and then go to zero. Whether the long-term value proposition of the company uh, remains intact is something that, you know, remains to be seen. Look, the stock ran up, I think, from February 550%, sold off a bit. Now, down to up uh, some 250%. It's been a roller coaster ride. It's a really innovative idea. It's something that if the execution uh, is able to be done, has the potential to to change, uh, you know, a lot of uh, the, this hydrogen fuel cell technology uh, that they either are or are not working on, depending on who you talk to, has the potential uh, to really change, uh, you know, the very nature of uh, of of transportation. Uh, and it's something that's absolutely fascinating. But short term medium term, who knows? Yep. And a uh, competitor to it is Tesla, you know, both named after the same inventor, you know, right. investors still really liking these, these business ideas, these concepts, um, and don't seem to be very worried right now. Yeah. Cars versus trucks and uh, electric engines versus hydrogen fuel cell engines. Look, this is something that I'm following. I would call it recreationally. It's just an amusing story. I certainly don't feel qualified to weigh in on whether it's the right valuation at this price. But obviously, there's a lot of choppiness here, a lot of volatility. Yeah, it's down, uh, you know, about 6% this morning uh, so far after the SEC announcement um, of the potential investigation. So we'll see what happens. Six percent. It's a drop in the bucket, Haley, compared to the volatility we've seen on this one. Yeah, it seems like it's uh, going to be a wild ride. If the past is any indicator of the future, wild ride in store. Haley Drasnan, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ash. See you later. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. TG Tuesday, Tony Greer, welcome back. Great to be here, my man. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. So I know you were away last week. Uh, tell us, what have we missed? What are you looking at these days? Well, I mean, the world is a super dynamic place since we last left off. And uh, we finally got a shakeout in technology, which has got to be at the top of everyone's list. Um, and not an excessive shakeout, just, you know, a pullback from making a new high every single day, which gets obnoxious to everybody. Wait, markets um, aren't supposed to make new highs every day? If you watched enough television, you would think that that's their function is to make a new high every day. And if you spoke to somebody at the Federal Reserve, they would probably think that the idea is to make a new high every day also. So, yeah, it's uh, we are in that mode. It was good to shake that and get a spike in volatility and see, you know, the post split stocks, as we mentioned, were on our radar the last time we spoke, spoke in Apple and Tesla, that there'd be some follow through retail buying and then just a little bit of a pullback to reality. I think that that's what we've gotten so far. Um, you know, I think we had to shake out the excessive blank in tech. We had to shake out the, um, you know, red line sentiment. And I don't think that we've necessarily shaken it out. I just think that we've gotten back to a more sensible level in the S&P testing, excuse me, the NASDAQ testing its moving averages, the S&P testing some moving averages to coincide with that. You know, the path higher, uh, Ash, as the Federal Reserve inflates assets is not going to be linear. 
it is not going to be a straight line. And so we've got episodes to deal with along the way. But I think um, that I'm very comfortable based on a few things I've seen even just this week with posturing myself towards markets continuing higher for the rest of the year. Wow. Very interesting. Tony, let's get back to the broader markets in a minute, but let's talk about tech. What are your views? I know that you look at this from a number of different angles. You look at a series of different indices. You look at different uh, subsector ETFs. How are you thinking about where we're valued right now? What's the tape telling you and what's the outlook for the future? Well, value to me is out the window. I'm looking for trade opportunity blocking and tackling ash. You know what I mean? And so that's why I just profess, I want to make it clear to everybody that I'm not a value seeker, a value trader, right? I like to trade momentum moves. I like to trade trends. And as we know, especially in 2020, not a lot of value is represented anywhere. And in fact, it's a lot of it's a lot of insanity, but the insanity does happen to match up well if you've got bull market trading acumen and you can believe in the narrative that the market is rallying on. And I think that that narrative has been, um, we're waiting to hear the next leg of it, but Jerome Powell, I believe, started us off on a new leg of we're going to let it run hot and try to get inflation cooking here um, post-COVID as we come out of the lockdown. And I think that that's what we're seeing so far, right? We came in yesterday and, you know, I try to talk about this with some of my clients that are short, like waiting for tech to curl over from here rather than my posture, which is I want to buy the dip because I feel that the uptrend is still intact. Um, like, like we've said, we've been following these subsectors the entire way up, like software, um, the internet stock, social media, semiconductors. And right now, for example, we've still got tech in the lead. This week we had the you know Oracle for TikTok story come out, you know, um, beating out Microsoft for that company. We had Nvidia purchase SoftBank's Arm Holdings for forty billion dollars, the biggest deal in the industry. And we had semiconductors follow through on the upside. We're seeing them follow through on the upside today. So if you want to fight this tech rally, you have to have a plan for coming in on Monday and seeing massive synergies taking place in the tech markets and the securities markets celebrating them, right? So if you don't have a game plan to combat that, it's very hard to be short technology. I'm trying to keep playing it from the long side. I like the trends. I like the way things are trading. Um, and we've seen this orderly pullback. So in as much as that's the case, I, you know, I just wanted my posture to be clear. I'm not looking for a tech wreck. I'm trying to trade these and look for, you know, maybe this isn't the extent of the dip. Maybe the Nasdaq trades the 200-day moving average. It's very much being led by Amazon, which is finally backing off into the moving averages. So we'll see what happens. I'm a little bit of a tech pickle here, Ash. I'm playing Amazon from the long side. I'm trying to play Zoom from the short side because I think it's one of these crazy, um, you know, overvalued um, liquidity balloons right now. And I'm trying to figure out which is the right way, but I'm, I'm feeling like I'm more rather cover my Zoom short and let's see tech continue rallying. So that's how I'm looking at tech to sort of address that um, as one portion of the things that we look at here at TG Macro. Yeah, really intriguing. Let's talk about two of those stories, Zoom and Amazon. First, uh, Zoom, tell us, how do you know when you see an overinflated liquidity story? What are the indicators that you look for? Well, this is one that, you know, you actually go to the earnings thing, uh, the earnings valuations and say when something goes vertical, you say, OK, well, what does exactly this look like compared to its peers or something? Um, and I literally saw that it was trading several hundred times forward earnings. I, you know, I see the chart and I'm looking at Tesla and expecting that to back off. And so it's just that something that my 
technical signals went off and got me into this zoom short. Um, and the stock has been against me the entire time. Like since I put it on, you know, I'm trying to trade this momentum back down on the other side of the para parabolic valley. And it hasn't materialized yet. I'm reluctant to cover it because I feel like there's a gap below the market. That's this low hanging fruit that zoom like could take one headline for zoom to just slide into this gap into the moving averages. And for me, that's the low hanging fruit, but it feels right. like the market's still short. And like I said, it feels like tech wants to sort of figure out how to resurrect itself here. Yesterday, we saw in addition to semiconductors, we saw biotech leading the way. So that's another, you know, um, positive leg in the tech market. We saw because biotech was so strong, we saw it lifting the Russell yesterday to the strongest performer of all um, across four indices, across the market cap weighted indices, the Dow, the S&P, the NASDAQ, and then the Russell. So um, I think it's interesting how all these scenarios are playing out into the markets and ending up sort of on the positive side of the coin more often than not. So that's how I'm kind of playing it. Um, and then, of course, we've got the macro markets. Yeah, the macro. You know, the macro markets today. You know, we've been seeing the equity rally take place against a weaker dollar. Just this morning, we've got the yuan exploding against the dollar. Um, you know, and the dollar hasn't made a new low. Sort of the euro hasn't made a new high yet, but the Aussie dollar strengthened up today. You're seeing metals rally. Palladium and platinum had huge days today with. Um, stronger Aussie dollar. And these are the sort of things that keep the market going. As you know, it's like always one day, it's one leg that holds the market up. Yesterday, it was biotech. Today, we've got, um, you know, big tech, semiconductors, FANG, social media out in the lead. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of like a baton of which sector is going to continue to hold the market. Yesterday, we had an 11 sector sweep, all 11 sectors up on the day. So it's like, that's a very tough wave for me to fight. And right. so that's how I that's how I've been able to maintain a sort of positive posture toward the markets. Interesting. I'm I'm curious. You know, you talk about fighting the wave. You talk about positioning short uh, against Zoom. Uh, one of the questions I have, and I, you haven't had a chance to see this segment yet, but the intro that's going to air before our show, uh, I sit down uh, with Haley and talk about uh, some of the irrational forces that are driving markets higher, or what some perceive to be irrational forces uh, driving markets higher. Incredibly, uh, you know, higher percentage of retail traders ever. You've got the Robinhood trader. Uh, you've got the increase in the uh, in the odd lots coming in on the uh, on the option side. How do you think about that risk? When it just seems unquantifiable. Obviously, you've got the Fed, you've got the, uh, you've got, you've got fiscal policy. How do you know when you can get short without getting whacked? Yeah, exactly. So irrational forces left and right, and I think we've almost got to address them um, separately because the number one force that is, I, you know, I have sort of pasted to the top of my post-it on my um, trading board is, you know, the Fed is inflating assets right now and those who are holding assets will be rewarded, right? So if, if you think that as your base premise about the Federal Reserve, I feel like you get a little farther, right? And, and I feel like that's been the recipe to stay in this market. So then you've got the irrational force of, you know, seeing Davy, tra Davy Day Trader pounding his green hammer on the screen every day. Um, and that's interesting. <laughs> but you don't want to fade that just because, you know, some character walks into the ring and has an idea and sort of, and I say the ring because this is very much to me like an old trading ring scenario, but it's been made, it's been, um, the equity market has been turned into a trading ring via social media, right? Because we've got all of the faces around the ring that just get, you know, sort of talking head sound bites like I get right now.
And so Portnoy is like a guy walks into the futures pit and is some stranger that nobody's ever seen trade futures before, but he's got a badge on. And all of a sudden he's like, I'm two for 500, I'm <laughs> three for a thousand, you know, and in the futures ring, everybody would be like, who the, who the f- is this guy? Right. And that's what it's like in the equity market where he's like, all right, I'm in, let's go. We buy stocks. They go up every day. And the whole world is looking at him like, what on earth? This guy has got to be proven wrong. Right now, if you look at it, when are we doing the when are we doing the Greer Portnoy debate on Real Vision? I, you know, I'm trying to get him to notice me slowly but surely. And he mentioned me once. And so I think I've made it to his radar. Like, I doubt my name has fallen out of that brain of his. So we'll see. But um, <laughs> my point is, like, I don't want to just fade it because this new player has come in because we've already been reading articles in pretty, you know, I read one in an industrial, uh, excuse me institutional investor that said that, you know, the retail flow is getting considerable in 2020 for all different reasons. And Portnoy is obviously, um, you know, the leader of that pack. So we see these irrational forces in the market. We see the Fed liquidity. We see the Robin Hood traders. They're making money in a hand over fist. I still don't, while we have to worry about the number of retail traders in the market because we've got this unbelievable scenario that we've never had coming out of a lockdown and unbelievable liquidity. I think we've got to take it all with a grain of salt and let price action tell us what is going to happen. You know, right. so until until we start to have a series of negative weeks and a series of follow through after an outside week like we had last week in the Nasdaq, you know, if, if the markets continue to just find a level and stabilize and rally. That's where we're going to get more of this year. You know, it doesn't seem like there's a tidal wave coming. So that's how I'm playing it, Ash. Rather than right. sort of how do you know when to pounce on the short side, I'm kind of looking for my opportunities to get in because I don't see these irrational forces changing between now and sort of let's call it election day. Yeah. It's also interesting to hear you take those apart one by one and think about them because they are all different forces and they all are having a similar impact, but they, they have different dynamics, different different sources, uh, and different uh, they play out in different ways. I would also add that the uh, retail traders now have a new tool in their arsenal. They're using options for non-recourse leverage uh, to get greater notional exposure with lower, uh, with lower uh, cash values. You know, we've seen that chart um, where the S&P, there's the S&P on top that rallies toward the top of the screen, and then the retail short-term call option participation, which is literally a hockey stick, right? Ah. So we we know that we are in um, we are in the middle of event type trading when we know that the boat is tipped aggressively one-sided and bullish as people are, and. You know, it seems like due to the Fed liquidity and due to the continuation of performance and price action and technicals reinforcing themselves, you know, we've got a big rally on our hands. And I feel like we're due for some shock and awe numbers before the year is over. It doesn't seem to me like this is something that's going to turn around and cascade lower for an extended period of time. Yeah. So I know you wanted to talk about Amazon before I threw this can of worms over the fence. So let's oh. jump back to that. What are your thoughts on Amazon right now? Yeah, it was just, you know, Ash, I was, I was trying to balance, um, you know, I've got a natural resources book that's based, um, you know, in, my, in the way that I've been trading. We're long natural resources in a number of different ways. And I've been trying to sort of force myself into some of the tech trades 
based on what's going on in the charts, right? I don't know which way tech is going. I don't know which way individual names are going, but I'm more than happy to play them when the chart setups look familiar to me, right? Like sometimes you see a chart and you don't even know what ticker it is, but you start salivating because you've seen that formation and you know how it works out. So I try to, you know, squeeze myself into an Amazon long near the highs, you know, not totally near the highs, but on support, on the dip, and I'm seeing right now it's pulling back right to a break even level. So I'm trying to decide what to do with it. Quite frankly, you know, it's not really a big position and it's not really a lot of um, it's not really a lot of money or mental power at risk. We're literally just trying to keep the um, keep the skills sharp. You know, so one one of the biggest names in tech pulls back into support um, and it doesn't look like it's breaking down. Looks like it's rather consolidating. Let's stick a bit in and see if we can get long and have it pick itself up and rally like it's been doing all year. So, um, you know, we got caught up in that um, split action in Apple and Tesla and App and Amazon backed off with the rest of them. And I'm a little concerned because it's one of the major uh, members of FANG that's below its 50 day moving average. As a technician, that's one of the boxes you have to check for something that's going to start to pull back. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But I'm still I still want to stay favorable to FANG and the drivers and the biggest names in tech. And I'll keep sort of sticking bids in there and giving my chance, giving myself a chance to get on this trend because it doesn't seem like it's over right now. It really doesn't. Yeah. With regard to Amazon, Tony, what were those support levels and why? In other words, how do you think about those levels and what was it that that crossed your mind as something that looked like an opportunity for for upside? Yeah, it was really a trading exercise as in, you know, I'm long this natural resources book and I am not long, you know, tech in any capacity in my newsletter. And I'm sort of trying to train people, you know, if you want to figure out how to get into something, here's a good example. I'm figuring out right in front of you how to get into Amazon. And the way that I figured out how to get into it after watching it, you know, bobble around the highs quite a bit was observing a pennant flag you know, clear as day where it makes a big extension higher away from moving averages. And then it starts to consolidate and the range gets tighter as it consolidates. And then I was waiting, you know, if it broke down, I was going to not touch it. And if it broke out of this pennant to the upside, I forced myself into a long position. And when I do that, it's sort of, you know, it's very much like, you know, sitting down in the Peacock Lounge in Las Vegas and playing just a couple of big hands of blackjack and seeing how you do. Right. That's not necessarily my strategy, but sometimes it can work out. And when volatility is high, I'm more than willing to take a chance, you know, with a smaller bet. And so when Amazon rallied out of that pennant and broke out in a convincing close higher, we bought some, added it to the position monitor as a long. And we've been just sort of babysitting it a little bit for now through the rally, which you know went our way and now back into support. It's right above my level where I may bail out if I think that it's going to continue testing moving averages because I can always buy Amazon back. And um, that's one thing that I keep in mind when I'm trading liquid stocks and trading for you know just a chart formation is to stay disciplined. And when it reaches your level to get out, get out because it was a small bet in the first place. You can keep your powder dry and you can always buy it back at another level if you really want to stay in one of the fang names like Amazon. So that's the way I'm looking at that one, Ash. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Lots of interesting insight, Tony, not just into what you're doing, but the way you see the world and how you think about what you do. Incredibly valuable. 
Thank you. I'm glad that that's valuable. It's interesting to talk about. So, Tony, dare I ask, what's your thoughts on Nikola? I don't really have any, Ash. I'm honest. I'll, I'll be totally honest with you. I, that's one of the things whenever, whenever there's something in the markets that's soaking up that much oxygen yeah. and that much brain power. And there are guys, you know, when people start dunking on each other with multiple layer tweets that I have to dig into <laughs> five stories to figure out what's going on. I'm not as interested, right? I stay out of the, I stay out of the hen fights in the market. That's what I do. So Nikola is something that sort of, I guess I would work, you know, for, I don't, I don't even want to speak about Nikola Ash because what I'll wind up doing is pissing off a couple of bears or starting some kind of fights in, in an arena that I do not even want to be in. So it's, it's really, it's, it's just one of those. I'm sorry that I don't have an opinion on it, but I'm going to be honest. No, that's great. Isn't it important to know the things that we're not supposed to have opinions about, meaning things that you're just not being involved in? Yeah. You know, my, I try to keep my macro world finite. And if you start letting in every story stock and and every story currency and every interesting cross that crosses your pad, I feel like you wind up burning a lot of mental energy outside of your comfort zones that have been so good to you for so long. And why upset your comfort zone when being comfortable is so big a part of being a trader, right? Yeah, and preserving... Yeah, I was just going to say, and preserving your cognitive bandwidth for the place of that where you can of the party where you can be most effective. Exactly. You know, something happens in oil, like we just saw. You know, oil pull back six um, percent and then seven percent or so two weeks in a row. It was a move that caught me off guard, but at least it's a move that I can go in quickly and analyze and say, "Hey, listen, how do I look at this oil market and why did I miss this move?" And you look back at it and you say, well, oil shouldn't really collapse here with the way I'm looking at it. I mean, you know, gasoline is backwardated. You know, some of the structure in the oil market is totally, totally intact. And I think that we're pulling back on slowdown in Chinese demand. And if that's going to be the barometer for the oil market, then I have learned something by sort of, you know, not having a position and going back and finding out what happened. But, you know, we spend a lot of our time being flat, a lot of time being patient and waiting. And, and yeah. so that, that's why I like just staying within my wheelhouse and not following the uh, sort of I call them the tabloid stocks out onto FinTwit for the uh, for the fistfights. I love what you said about being five levels deep in the tweets just to understand what's going on. That's like a good indicator that things are getting crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You got journalists dunking on analysts, <laughs> dunking on traders, dunking on. I mean, I just can't I can't get into that at all. <laughs> yeah. So getting back to the, the core, uh, what, what are your thoughts in light of recent moves uh, on energy and how do you look to play it? Energy I'm looking at as a barometer right now, Ash. Of course, I'm going to try to play oil from the long side only down here at the cost of production or lower. Um, I, I don't short commodities at the cost of production and oil is no subject. Um, it's gotten pounded on by two headlines in the last two days of the same nature. Number one, British Petroleum um, basically said there's going to be no demand growth whatsoever for the next several years. Um, the International Energy Ener Agency came out today and said the same exact thing in using different words, I think. Um, you know, yeah, and, the, and the report from OPEC as well. And OPEC, exactly, exactly. So we've got sort of a perfect storm there that set oil back on its heels. Um, I am not a believer that even in a slower down economy that oil is going to get crushed, especially in a weaker dollar scenario, especially in a scenario where the Fed is trying to inflate assets 
and commodities are broadly speaking inflating for them. You know, we're seeing gold rally. We're seeing um, base metals are rallying. Crude oil has been the um, the steady commodity in the group, but we've started to see investor interest in some of the soft commodities now. So I'm getting more and more confident that this commodity trade and the inflation theme is going to have some follow through. Um, it may not have the performance legs in it that tech might have between now and the end of the year, say. Um, but I think that energy is something that if I'm going to trade from the long side, I still want to trade the commodity itself uh, because I still think that there is liquidation going on in the fossil fuel area just so that people can stay in the ESG zone um, you know, and be environmentally, socially and governing body wise you know, very um, politically correct, et cetera. So I'm concerned for the stocks is my short answer. I do not get bearish oil down here at the cost of production. I'll only play it from the long side, like, you know, a stubborn old commodity snob that I am. And, um, you know, if they can knock it down much lower than here, I will start calling up large investment banks and asking them to price up my lifetime supply of gasoline at last sale. And once I get somebody to do that, I would be happy to lay the cash out for my entire lifetime supply of gasoline, and then I don't have to worry about the oil market anymore. Tony, lots of interesting topics we've covered today. Only Tuesday. What's your outlook for the rest of the week? You know, as I set out this week to look out for two things specifically, and I'm still looking out for them and see how they pan out. After last week's outside week in the NASDAQ, I was looking for follow-through potentially on the downside in tech. So far, that hasn't really materialized. They seem to be buying the effing dip, to use a popular term, in FinTwit. And I was looking for potential dollar weakness to follow through this week. We're seeing that transpire, and that's been um, fueling, I think, the commodity strength trade and continues to. And one of the things that, that hit my radar, ashes is, is that while I'm looking for things to worry about, I'm starting to develop, to develop a short list of things that for right now are not bothering the markets, right? So there's a list of things that really kind of don't matter right now for whatever reason, but the S&P trading at 185% of GDP is not a problem right now for whatever reason. The VIX hovering between 25 and 30 does not seem to be a problem to S&P 3300. So I think that's a positive thing. We've got gasoline coming off, you know, uh, excuse me, oil just came off uh, 14% in two weeks, and it didn't crush the risk complex. So a lower oil price and $2 gasoline at the pump isn't certainly not a problem. You know, banks, for example, not performing today, JP Morgan in the hole, Citibank in the hole, those sectors going down while tech and other industrial sectors get on their feet doesn't seem to be a problem. So, you know, I, I, I think you have to, in this market in 2020 especially, not only notice what is going on, but notice the things that the people are telling, the bears are pointing to and saying, look out, the VIX is at 30. Look out, we had a vol expanding rally. Look out, we're at 185% of GDP. You know, I don't think any of that bothers Jerome Powell. I really don't. And I don't think that it bothers Steve Mnuchin. And I don't even think Donald Trump has any idea this is going on. So in as much as this is probably going to be allowed to continue, um, I want to make sure that I'm on the right side of this game. Tony Greer, well summed up. Thanks very much, man. Great to be here. Thanks for coming back. Always enjoy these Tuesdays. See you in a week, man.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.